How's it going, everybody? I'm AJ Cueve. Welcome to another episode of Genre Geeks. This is my solo show. I consume a lot of media during the week, and so this is my outlet to go into greater detail on what it is exactly that I consumed. For this bit, I'm going to talk about some of the movies that I watched recently. The first being the one I'm probably going to spend the most time on, which is The Joker. So this is my second time watching The Joker. I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. And I guess it's important to say my initial thoughts were that it was okay. I thought it was, you know, I take that back. It was good. Not great. Doesn't deserve Oscars, but it was good. And I felt like I was kind of on the outside of that. And I certainly didn't want to be one of those hipstery douches who were like, oh, it sucks, you know, because everyone likes it. No, I mean, I had my reasons, which I'll go into detail in a bit here. But that was my thoughts when I first saw the movie. And after rewatching it, it actually reaffirms exactly what I thought. For all the people out there who are screaming over how great this movie is and how many Oscars it deserves and how it just shattered the superhero genre, I challenge you to watch it again. Not to say that it's going to change your mind, but it certainly reassured my thoughts on the movie in that the movie beyond the initial shock doesn't have a lot to go with. Uh, The analogy that I, I gave my friend after watching it for the first time was it felt like a cover band covering really good songs. And so like what I mean by that is I th- I feel like the Joker's incredibly derivative of other movies in that I, I say genre, the whole character study breakdown of a psycho type uh, genre, which exists. Uh, the most prominent example being Taxi Driver, ironically enough, which has Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro, who's uh, De Niro is in, in the Joker. If you watch Taxi Driver... And then watch Joker or even go back and watch Taxi Driver. You're going to greatly see the the example that Joker followed. And it just if you take away the the Joker part of the movie, strip away all the DC of it, take away the name Joker, take away the name Wayne and take away Gotham. I don't think people will be praising the movie as much because this type of movie already exists and people aren't crapping their pants over it like they are with the Joker. Granted, it is to its advantage and what I believe to be a pretty smart decision in a completely oversaturated superhero genre. They decided to make a movie that wasn't like every other superhero movie. So in that regard, I agree with people. But with people saying that, you know, it deserves Oscars, that is an entirely different conversation. Maybe we can come up with our own award system for the superhero genre. Frankly, I think we have enough movies now that we need to go ahead and start doing that. Not necessarily superhero, but like comic book genre. Between the countless Marvel movies, DC movies, the Dark Horse movies, you know, Hellboy. If you count all these movies that are coming out all the time, I feel like maybe we should go ahead and come up with our own award system for that. With that said, with the Joker, I feel like if you watch it a second time, you lose that shock and then you get to see the movie for what it really is, which isn't much. And so I'll start going into the detail of what I don't like about the movie. A, I don't like how it spoon feeds you uh, with stuff. I felt like all the plot twists were incredibly foreseen. You can ask my wife when we were in the theater, the second 
the Joker goes and kisses his uh, his neighbor, his down the hall neighbor. It was I believe it was after he murdered the the guys on the subway. The second he goes and kisses her, she looks at me like, what the heck? And I just look at her I'm like, no, that's not happening. This is not going to be happening. Whatever's happening with them. And I was right, which would have been OK if they didn't spoon feed you the fact that it wasn't real. The scene where he is in her apartment, she comes out of the her daughter's room and she kind of goes like <gasps> and sees him on the couch. That's all they needed. Give the you know, give the little extra dialogue of like you're in the wrong apartment. Uh, you, you and your mom live down the hall, right? That's all you need. They went ahead and went the extra bit of literally showing you the scenes again with that had them together. But this time with her cut out, we know at that point that she's not real. You don't need to show us like hold our hand and walk us through like and see she wasn't there. That's to me, that's poor. That's not utilizing the medium of, of a movie. It's one of those things where I don't know if you guys ever heard, you know, you wrote a paper or something before and your teacher tell, explains to you, don't you say the, use the phrase and Charlie was mad. Show that Charlie was mad. Use the medium, use writing to show action that that, that tells us that we're able to tell ourselves, oh, so Charlie's mad. In that scene, if she would have just seemed shocked and then Joker looked at her, did the little finger gun to his head kind of thing. And then you cut to him in his apartment, whatever the next scene was, that's enough. We get it at that point. It gives us something to tell ourselves, which I absolutely prefer in movies. You know, granted, some people might want the spoon feeding to absolutely reassure because they don't want to have any kind of doubt after the movie. But I feel like I certainly don't like being spoon fed and everyone I discuss this with also agrees that they don't want to be spoon fed. So that's one big gripe I have, but it's that type of, uh, of storytelling that, I, that happens quite often in the movie. Another example is the big conundrum of was Joker's mom crazy or did, is Thomas Wayne really his dad? And they do a great job up until a point where it's like, well, there seems to be evidence that she is crazy and they even do that little uh, bit during the flashback where his mom is like, he forged the adoption papers. He forged all the other documents. He's the dad. He just did it that, to cover up our affair. But I mean, that was enough, in my opinion, because it gives you a, well, the scene's taking place in an insane asylum. Maybe she's crazy. Maybe she's honest. And this is how corrupt and powerful the Waynes, or at least Thomas Wayne was. But then they give you that scene at the very end where Joker finds the picture of his mom when she was younger. And on the back of the picture, it said like something about like, I love your smile. You're pretty or, or something to that degree. Uh, but the initials TW, which who else could that be? If they would have given us some out of like, oh, TW is other initials. But no, it's clearly it's Thomas Wayne. And they gave us that bit with him flirting with her, which to me just it, it, it reassured it. And they didn't need that when that moment was already gone after uh, the mom died after he had after Arthur had that moment in the in the stairwell when he steals the documents. But because they had to give you that extra bit, it's just like, dude, we get it. Move on. It's moments like that where just it halts the story for me. That's the big thing, I guess, is that the pacing keeps getting stopped just like in a brick wall with moments like the flashbacks explaining that the chick didn't really exist and the picture that had his mom when she was younger and I just, I don't like that kind of storytelling. And I felt like that kept happening during the movie. And 
that to me just doesn't give the story of the Joker justice. And that to me is, it's not unfair to be this upset about the Joker because he purposefully doesn't have a consistent origin story in the comics. The most generally accepted being the killing joke. And even that isn't necessarily, you know, forged in truth. And it's not hard canon. That's what happened. Even Alan Moore admitted that this is his interpretation, his bit, his story of it. And even that has holes and that has like a shroud of mystery around it. But when you give Darth Vader a definitive, this is what made him like this, the prequels speak for themselves. So when you have the Joker, arguably the most famous villain in comic books, at least in the top three people's arguments, you know, he's on the Mount Rushmore of, of comic book villains. When you give a guy whose whole bit is he's a psycho, unpredictable maniac, and you give him a concrete backstory... That, to me, is A, a cheap cop-out because you clearly know the numbers are going to do well. People are going to want to see that. And B, it's not going to do as well as the passionate fans are going to want. I mean, just look at the prequels of Darth Vader. I mean, that's the, the best example I can think of is when you ha- you have the, the end result, you have the final product, showing how it gets made is never satisfying. And granted, I'll give the movie some credit it tries to do the whole like, but was it really with the, the multiple quote unquote twists in the movie? Uh, that's a whole bit that I also don't like is the ending of the Joker with him in the insane asylum talking about, uh, yeah, you wouldn't get it kind of joke thing. To me, that's an extra layer of Todd Phillips, the writer slash director going like, I need to make this as, psychological as I can when I don't feel like that part's truly justified my interpretation of that ending which I if this is the ending I would like it I do appreciate them for right now it's been apparently been uh, greenlit for a sequel as of now it hasn't been hard confirmed or denied anyone's fan theory but my theory is that he this that scene takes place years down the road after Batman has already become Batman and it's Joker realizing or theorizing his actions caused the birth of his great nemesis because the last scene before it cuts to him in the insane asylum is Bruce Wayne kneeling by his parents and the camera kind of pans back and Joker kind of has like a, huh. And the psychiatrist is like, what's up? And he's like, mm, I just thought of a joke. And it'd be, to me, that that would be, I'll give, absolutely give it credit. That would be awesome if it was like him realizing, crap, <laughs> I created my biggest problem. I think that would be really cool. But I say that without them hard confirming it. It only works like this if it's a theory. If it's a conversation people can have after the movie with, well, how do you interpret the end? So, I just, gosh, I just am so frustrated with people screaming that the movie deserves all these Oscars. Uh, some of the Oscars are ridiculous that it, that it's got, that it's uh, being nominated for. Best Picture, come on, it's going against Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Marriage Story, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit. I didn't see 1917. I'm trying to see Parasite. I mean, really? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood versus this? It's 
And that's my challenge. And I know I'm coming off kind of pompous, but that's why I have this platform. (laughs) These are just my honest to God, fairly unfiltered thoughts on a lot of this stuff. And I don't want to have to get my qualifications, but I will say that I, I do, I study film. That's something that I am formally studying. People that are screaming Joker deserves all these Oscars. I ask you, have you seen the other nominees? Now I'm not saying the Oscars are the standard. There are problems and I can have a whole episode committed to that, but people that are saying that the Joker deserves best picture. Have you seen the other best picture nominees and seeing what the, what the rest of the standard is for great, for best picture. Once upon a time in Hollywood, I also rewatched, I, I went to Redbox and I rented technically two, but I bought, I got three movies from Redbox, which I'll get to after this. And the other one I watched was once upon a time in Hollywood. Again, it's the second time I saw that since theaters and I enjoyed it more the second time absolutely reaffirmed that it's a masterpiece of a movie joker did the i say opposite in the sense of it was worse on rewatch as opposed to better on rewatch and thing is movies in that genre the whole character study of a, of a, of a psycho can be better on rewatch american psycho once um taxi driver uh henry portrait of a serial killer these movies uh king of comedy are better, in my opinion, on rewatch. Every time I watch American Psycho, I enjoy it more the next time because I just, I, I know what's coming and it's a well-written, well-shot movie. Joker, on the other hand, has its little one-trick pony bit. And after you get past that, there's not much left. It's a very shallow film. I know it sounds like I'm crapping on it a lot and I'm not trying to be responsive to how the mass feel about it, but I am trying to say that anytime a movie is, you know, put on a pedestal, it goes under the microscope and that's not a, you know, a bad thing. I have agreed uh, a lot of the time with people, you know, when it comes to Avengers or, uh, I'm trying to think of another example off the top of my head, but, uh, the big, big movies, Star Wars, you know, Anytime it goes under the microscope, I more or less agree with it. I think Endgame was fantastic. The all, Almost all the Avenger movies are fantastic. I think the big, dumb, Fast and Furious movies are fantastic. They're dumb and stupid and fun. And that's why I like it. Joker, on the other hand, is not being praised for the reasons I feel like it deserves. There are elements that I like about it. Some of the coloring is really cool in it. There are bits and pieces in the editing that I like. But saying that it's like the greatest character and just a well-written shocking, it's not. And that's why I disagree with it. So that's my thoughts on, uh, on Joker. And I know I, I just took all that time to crap on it, but that's because I'm trying to pull it down from a 10 that everyone's trying to give it to, to what I honestly agree, which is a 5 between a five and a six, probably closer to five. I I enjoyed it the first time I watched it. It was good. Enjoyed it less. So I'm probably not going to watch it again for quite a while. Otherwise it's going to probably go down to a four or something, but it doesn't deserve best picture. It's an okay movie. Once upon a time in Hollywood, on the other hand is a masterclass in cinema. Tarantino, it needs to be said that I, I, to be fair, I am a pretty good fanboy of Tarantino. Not to say that I haven't disliked stuff he's done. I think Death Proof is, it was bad. 
I, I, and I think, you know, Kill Bill is great for what it is, but not up to snuff with his other films. But the, the difference is the Kill Bill is fun. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood encompasses, I feel like everything Tarantino has learned from his movies, which is how to take his unique storytelling style flavor and just polishing it, which I feel like Tarantino has been doing wonderfully with every movie he's done short of death proof, which even, you know, he admits, you know, that was just a dumb, fun movie he wanted to make with, you know, kind of a, a passion project. He didn't want to put the effort into make like a full fledged movie. It was a grindhouse flick with the, the planet terror. I think the, the Robert Rodriguez one, if you look at his last few movies, uh, a few I'm referring to, so probably even starting at Django or I'm sorry, uh, well, uh, Inglorious Bastards, you get this new kind of sleekness and pacing to Tarantino's storytelling, which really, his, his whole trademark has always been characters and feet, but we'll get to that, but characters and starting with Inglorious Bastards, he made, he started doing like these really accessible movies that has his, he didn't compromise his care, his, his characters, his dialogue, his, you know, gory fun. He hasn't sacrificed that, but he found a way to refine it for general audience that appeases both them and the film heads. So starting with Inglorious Bastards, then to Django, then Hateful Eight, and now Once Upon a Time on Hollywood, he's gotten nothing but better with each movie. So with Once Upon a Time on Hollywood, it's, first of all, long as crap. I remember when I watched it in theaters, uh, it was it was a bit of a, uh, you know, it took it out of me watching it. Not like that I was like bored or anything, but I, I was sitting there watching the movie thinking, man, this is... Uh, quite a long movie, but I was also like, yay, more movie gets to happen. Uh, there was no negativity in that. Just simply acknowledging that, man, I've been sitting here for a little while. It actually flew by the second time I watched the movie. And the the way I kind of compare that to is if you've ever been on a road trip and you've driven somewhere that you haven't been before, the drive there is just long and you notice how long it is the drive back always seems shorter which is strange I I don't know it's just because your mind uh, isn't as actively watching or viewing what's around you instead it's kind of passively more enjoying whatever the uh, you know the trip I feel like that kind of happened with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because as you're watching it the first time you're just your eyes are just darting across the screen what am I looking at look what's happening in the background what's that supposed to symbolize and it's great, but by the end of it, the first time I watched it, I was almost tired. I'm like, man, I'm worn out after watching that movie. It was great. Wow. But uh, the second time, I was able to just sit down and enjoy it more. One of the big examples that uh, I wish I can go back and feel, because it was such a masterful moment, stroke of cinema genius, the the scene where Brad Pitt's character, Cliff, is at the Spawn Ranch, the 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 old ranch where the the Man- the Manson family are hiding, and his old uh, boss, who owns the ranch, still lives there, and he has allowed these hippies to live there. He there's a this undertone of nefariousness that Brad Pitt senses, and Tarantino does a great job of allowing the audience to feel of dude's probably dead. 
and they're just lying about him taking a nap. Everything down to like the, the, the line of like, oh, well, why can't I go see him? And a pussycat character goes, he's taking a nap. Like in just in this real bull crap. Clearly, I just made this up off the top of my head. The characters look at her like, the, really, that's your excuse? Which is just funny watching it again because, I mean, it's sincere. So the, from that to the imagery of when Brad Pitt walks in the kitchen, there's a rat stuck in a sticky trap. The, the you know, the imagery of being a rat trapped like that just absolutely foreshadows like, okay, dude's clearly a prisoner here, which after Brad Pitt sees the guy, talks to him, it's more or less, it's less true, but they're still, they're taking advantage of the guy, but they're being as nice as they can to the guy. And granted, I don't know the real history of that guy. Maybe he ends up being killed by them later, but strictly exclusively going off the the movie. I like that moment because it's, there's so much anxiety and like my heart, I remember, which is beating through my chest during that scene. And then during the, the realization, it's if there that is going to be the example I use whenever I'm referring to like a breath, an exhale of relief. We're just watching the movie, opens the door, sees the body. He's like, dude, you good? He turns over. He's like, what? I'm like, oh, thank God. OK, even like the music, uh, the music lightens up that is a great moment of tension building and release. So, I mean, just that watch, even on rewatch was fantastic. And I, I, I wish I can feel that, that tension like I did the first time, just cause that was so fun having that moment. Uh, Tarantino just does a great job creating and crafting and refining these characters where the movie, if you look at it, pretty objectively it's uh Leonardo DiCaprio's character Brad Pitt's character and a tiny 25 percent or whatever like if uh Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio take 75 percent of the movie the remainder goes to Margot Robbie which uh initially that was probably uh another thing too was I'm like in the marketing they featured her heavily and she's really not in the movie too much, but that's perfectly fine. I feel like it's more of the advertising's fault to make it seem like she was a bigger figure in the movie. On second watch, it all, every scene was great with her. And I wasn't expecting her to be in like, okay, well, maybe she needs to be in more in the movie. Because it's like, why have Margot Robbie if you're not going to have her do a lot more? Um, if you look at the movie, it's really just those three characters and what they're doing basically during the course of a day or two. Uh, they do the six-month jump, but a bulk of the movie takes place in a day and it's like well what's uh what's cliff doing during this uh you know when he kind of has his free time away from his boss what's uh rick dalton leonardo DiCaprio's character what's it like for him on set this and you get this just great understanding and kind of relative it's fairly relative uh relatable not necessarily to you know me or any particular but you get it you get this dude was a you know top of the top of his game TV actor, but he wanted more. He wanted to be a movie actor. And because of that, he kind of derailed himself, cost the bounty law, their, their show. And now he's just doing basically cameos as the bad guy in 
TV shows. So instead of him leading his TV shows, he does appearances on TV shows. So like you get, man, like this guy just desperately wants to be a great actor. It's a, there's a shallowness to it, but I think that's inherent with actors. It's not like he just desperately wants to perfect his craft. And I think that actually ends up happening where during the movie, he comes to the realization of like, it, it's after he fumbles his lines in that scene with uh, Timothy Oliphant where he is in the dressing room shouting at himself and he's like, dude, perf- be better. And actually, I think uh, upon saying that, I realize it's the scene where he's talking to the little girl that he realizes, oh, like, yeah, this is a craft. This, if this little girl's putting this much effort into it, why aren't I? And that's when it brings out that great, that great scene out of him. And oh gosh, I could talk about this movie all day. It's great. I absolutely adore it. Uh, Tarantino has said that he likes the idea of just doing 10 movies and he's out. He, ha- people need to stop with the, with the rumors and the articles that he's only going to do 10 and then he's out. He said he likes the idea of it. His whole bit with giving himself a limited number is that he doesn't believe that you become better the longer you make movies. In his example, I actually think he has become better the longer he makes movies, even though my favorite movie, you know, it slides in and out of first place is Reservoir Dogs, his first feature film. He doesn't want to keep making movies and then start the quality starts going downhill. And I appreciate him for that because that's that's a dedication to his craft. He's like, I can keep making movies. Everyone's going to watch them forever and I'm going to be dumb rich. Instead, he's like, he, he doesn't want the quality to go down. So he said, you know, 10 is a good round number. And this is number, uh, I think number nine, let's count because, uh, well, let's, let's go reservoir dogs. I don't know if he counts four rooms or true lies. We're going to go ahead and leave those out for now. So reservoir dogs, uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, dust till dawn, Jackie Brown, kill Bill. Uh, he counts those as one movie. That's five. Uh, you have Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django, uh, Havel 8, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I, I guess he doesn't count uh, Dust Till Dawn because that puts us at nine right there. Because, uh, yeah, in hindsight, uh, Hateful Eight was marketed as the eighth film by Tarantino. So those are the movies he counts towards his, quote, ten. So I don't believe he's going to stop at ten. I think... He can, but I think if a good story comes to him, which with a mind like Tarantino, it has to, it's going to, I feel like it's going to happen. He'll keep going. He's not like going to refuse to create this, uh, a movie just because he, oh, I reached 10, so I guess I got to stop. So I absolutely uh, adored uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. With that said, Tarantino, my dude, your foot thing, that's gotta, you gotta put a handle on that, man. There, you know, you want to put a scene of, you know, a chick walking barefoot, fine, not my cup of tea, but you don't have to shove their dirty feet in front of the camera, literally Margot Robbie's rancid, dirty feet propped up in the movie theater in front of her face or uh, the pussycat character throwing her feet on the dashboard, just yellow and weird looking in front of the camera, my dude, 
I'm not going to defend you there. (laughs) That is gross and weird. And it definitely pulled me out. I'm not going to let that be excused as artistic. That's your foot thing coming out and your Tarantino. So if you're going to have Margot Robbie's feet, you're going to have Margot Robbie's feet. Not my thing though, man. That's my only real complaint with once upon a time. My goodness, man. With that said, I said I uh, I rent I got three movies from Redbox. I rented those two. I bought. I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't know this. You can buy movies from Redbox for pretty cheap. I was uh, I could have gotten uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for like seven bucks, but I wanted to get because because it's me because I do love the movie so much. I want to get the the pretty box. I want to get the the Blu-ray box set. Uh, not box set, but you know what I'm talking about. The big fancy case. But I did buy, and I'm going to watch later today, uh, Godzilla King of Monsters. I loved the previous Godzilla. I like Gar- uh, uh, Gareth Evans. He did the original Godzilla. I say original. He did the previous Godzilla, and he did... Uh, what's the movie? Uh, the Star Wars movie. He did the, the Rogue One. Eh. Unfortunately, he didn't... And that's why I, I haven't seen the movie yet. He didn't direct this Godzilla. Instead, that was given to a guy named Mike uh, Michael Daugherty. Uh, Daugherty. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Which his direction isn't as good. His history. He did Trick or Treat, which I watched, which was fun. It was the uh, the Hollywood or Hollywood the Halloween anthology film, and he also did Krampus, which I actually liked more than I disliked. It was okay, Medi- I said mediocre, and I, I keep saying this because I really am tired of people feeling like I'm being really negative when I say mediocre. It is probably a little more mean or uh, negative than good, but it should be in the middle. To me, that's it's a five. Between four to five, which is good. It's still there. It's not. I'm not saying it was a bad movie. I'll watch it again. Um, but he did Krampus, and so he also directed this Godzilla King of the Monsters. He, uh, Michael Daugherty also helped write it, and I'm, I'm trying to look up right now what else Michael Daugherty wrote. I believe he also wrote uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Oof, oh no. <laughs> he did. He wrote Krampus. He wrote Trick or Treat. He apparently did the screenplay for Superman Returns, which, ugh. Uh, Urban Legends Bloody Mary. I think I actually saw that. I can't recall it too much. I'm pretty sure it was one of those movies on Crackle. Um, but he also wrote X-Men 2, which is the best X-Men movie. Uh, next to, or at least it goes neck and neck. It might pass, it might go under, depending on my mood. Uh, first class. So, he's inconsistent, let's say that. So, I want to see... Godzilla King of Monsters. I uh, the reason I brought all that up was because you could buy the movie, you could rent Godzilla for two dollars because I always get the Blu-rays, or you can own Godzilla for three dollars. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna buy it. And I was kind of hoping, hindsight, I had no reason to to do this, so this is all on me. I was hoping the DVD was gonna come out in like something nicer than the normal red uh red box little plastic dvd case but no it did it came out in the little red box dvd case so now i have this awkward red box dvd case that gives me a panic attack every time i walk past it because i think oh crap did i forget to return this movie so i'm watching that later today i'll next episode i'll let you guys know my thoughts on it 
But uh, I think that's going to wrap this episode up. I'm like, I don't want to go too long. Those are the movies that I watched recently. Uh, Joker. Eh. Once upon a time, once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. And I will let you know about Godzilla. So that's going to wrap this episode up. Thank you for listening. If you have anything you want me to check out or you want us to talk about on the main cast, let me know. Uh, send an email to genregeekscast at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook. Uh, we're trying to get the Insta- uh, Instagram going. Let me know on YouTube, on my source material episodes. I'm going to try to get back to that soon, actually. If you're listening to this, here's your treat. I'm trying to do an episode on The Crow. And until next time, bye. Bye.